This is episode number 108 with Deborah Dull and Zofia Agnes Nagy. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. With the pace we're depleting finite resources, supply chains are being called to move away from the source, make, deliver model to a more circular model based on the principles of reducing, reusing, recycling, and regenerating materials and products. Inevitably, all supply chains of the future will become more circular in nature. That's why I'm excited to be joined by circular supply chain expert Sophia Agnes Nagy and the founder of the Circular Supply Chain Network, Deborah Dull, to discuss all this and more. Now, Sophia has over 15 years experience working in the supply chain industry and has worked for the likes of Unilever, Coty, GlaxoSmithKline, and Novo Nordisk in various supply chain roles before heading up her own consultancy, which advises businesses on how to build circular, sustainable, and frugal supply chains. Deborah's supply chain career saw her working in various roles at Microsoft, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and GE Digital. Today, Deborah heads up the Circular Supply Chain Network, which educates senior supply chain leaders on why and how to redesign their supply chains to be more circular. Together, we're going to be defining what circular supply chains look like, how sustainability pairs with circularity, and how frugality fits into a circular operating model. We're also going to be busting the various myths surrounding circular supply chains. So if you're interested in circular and frugal supply chains and eager to find out the value it can bring to your organization, this episode is for you. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. And today we've got two fantastic guests that uh, have been part of the podcast before. They've you know worked with us before. I love these ladies. We're going to have a great conversation. And before we started rolling, I actually asked is the world ready for what we're going to talk about? This is going to be an exciting conversation. So hold on to your seats. Yeah. So I've got today Sophia Agnes Nagy and Deborah Dull. Um, Sophia, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and uh, why you're so passionate about the topic we're going to be discussing? Thank you, Maria. And I'm really, really glad to be here. I also love Deborah, amazing, uh, you know, content that you're doing. So amazing to be here and that. Uh, basically about myself. I'm partly a person who grew up in operation and partly a person who did a lot of consulting. So I kind of molded these two parts together. And now I'm doing my own little consultancy, um, focusing uh, almost exclusively as much as I can, of course, based on uh, how, how companies you know respond to my little nudges that we we're going to discuss. Um, so I try to focus on you know sustainability and how they can change, how I can nudge them in the right direction and what they can really do in real life because they can do a lot. They can do a lot. We can discuss uh, many of these elements. Uh, but in essence, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, and uh, that comes from... Uh, you know, 25 plus years of being interested in this topic already as a teenager. I loved it already when my mom, you know, studied this as university. And um, so it's in your blood. It's in your blood. Exactly, is what you're telling I mean, yeah, me. exactly. Yeah, that, that's what it's I'm in saying inherently. But, you know, I never left this. Uh, and although, you know, most of the companies were not exactly interested for a couple of decades, but it, it has always been there. And I think that's very also linked with Deborah uh, on a couple of sessions where, where we also said, you know what, Lean is actually not far off of this. And so many of the methodologies that we are using in supply chain already, uh, it's just, we were not using them in, in the right way, right? So 
now we we put them in the right context in the right structure but we're going to discuss that again we're going to discuss all of that exactly so so about me really i'm doing this right now in real life so if anyone you know needs you know insight or input on on what's possible what's not possible that's why we're going to meet past a little bit as well uh, uh, later so i'm i'm going to be happy you know just to provide a couple of examples and how we're Great. going so yeah that's where i am well deborah dull why don't you if, if we're going to have a conversation about the circular supply chain we just need to have deborah dull in the conversation you are the founder of the circular supply chain network so tell us all about it thank you maria thanks for having me back on the show and sophia i'm just you know, whenever we end up on a Zoom call together, <clears throat> it runs long. So thank you for the willingness to put us together on a show. And whose mom like lays the foundation for someone's work like Sophia does. So we have to come back to that because that research, I think, is uh, really interesting. Uh, look, circular supply chain, it's a newer term. It really is just the amalgamation of the circular economy principles applied in supply chain, which um, sort of blows my mind that it hasn't had more traction because this to me is really a supply chain problem to solve in that we need to change the relationship we have with the materials all around us because it turns out the earth is actually not an infinite supply of resources and so we've got to change the way that we manage hold on, hold on. Say, say that again what no, the- it turns out actually the center of the planet isn't just producing more gold and zinc right Wow. Mm-hmm. So Newsflash. it turns out that's, that's real. Uh, I tripped and fell into the circular economy about four or five years ago. And my first thought, once I wrapped my head around it, was this is kind of a big deal for supply chain. But there weren't supply chain folks at the table for circular economy discussions. Uh, so I started inviting myself to these forums and asking people, you know, what does your supply chain think about this? And they'd be like, my who? Mm. Why would I need to call them? But we're the ones to operationalize all of this. The material choices are made jointly between us and material science and design teams and engineers. Uh, but then we become the stewards of the materials through our supply chains. And so uh, almost a year ago now, actually about 10 months ago, uh, a couple of folks I have a tremendous amount of respect for um, strongly urged me into founding a space on the internet where supply chain professionals could come together and just talk circularity. And so the Circular Supply Chain Network was born. Uh, we've hosted global events. We've got a couple coming up this fall, one particularly I'm really excited about, uh, and we can talk more about that together. Brilliant. But well, I love putting you guys together because of the you know backgrounds that you both bring to the table. I mean, uh, Sophia, you kind of did yourself a bit of an injustice there in your explanation about who you are, because you've worked in this industry on, on both both sides, haven't you? You've worked both as a practitioner in supply chain and demand planning, in supply chain in general across multiple industry sectors, multiple geographies. So you've been on that side. You've also been on the dark side, you know, consulting. Yes. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, you've been on that side. You, lo- you love how I said that, didn't you? No offense <laughs> to, to anybody listening who's on the dark side, but, you know, but I think that's generally what, what is perceived. So, so you bring a wealth of experience to, to the table as well to have this conversation. And Deborah, I love what you just said there about the fact that you were having conversations and saying, what does your supply chain think? You know, and, and, and people not really realizing this. So, so I'm going to jump straight into the first question, right? Now, let, let's talk about the difference between supply chain and sustainability, because that seems to be something that is, is it interchangeable? You know, it, it confuses people. Uh, 
it is. So why don't we talk about what is the circular economy? You know, can you, Sophia, maybe let's start with you. Tell us in a sentence what it is and how does it compare to sustainability? Yeah, uh, for me, you know, circular economy is, is an economical setup where, and I'm trying to be, I, I try to be really short here. We try to copy, you know. Because yeah, I said one does. sentence, Sophia. Exactly, one <laughs> sentence. So, so we, we essentially need to copy what nature does, right? Nature uh, uses everything, reutilize everything, regenerate everything. So if you take a look at any of the, the natural processes, uh, they always start with what they have. They really use it wisely and then they reuse it and they make sure that it gets into the circulation wherever it's possible, right? So um, that's why whenever I refer to all of these processes and, and how I would define them, just ask people, look at nature, look at what nature is doing. There's no waste. There is no waste. They mm-hmm. can use everything. So that's about the one sentence. And now I, I let Deborah also say, share her. What, what do you think in, in one sentence, if you can do it? Yep. So uh, the name of the circular economy comes from circular circulating materials through the economy as many times as possible, ideally forever. Every time that happens, we can charge more money for it. And so we end up in this re-world and there is a hierarchy. So reuse, refurb, repair, remanufacture, and recycling is the loop of last resort, the circle of last resort. It's almost synonymous with throwing things away in the circularity crowd, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's this re-universe and that's Mm -hmm. really what we need to start managing as supply chain professionals. Do you know what? I, I interviewed someone and they gave me a really good way of looking at it that spoke to me. Um, which is to imagine how our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation dealt with things. So for instance, um, uh, my 85-year-old father. So I had a shirt that had a hole in it. And I was like, oh man, there goes the shirt. I guess that's it. It's over with. It's over. RIP shirt. You know, it's done. Uh, And my dad's like, no, hold on a second. I'll use it to clean the windows. And I'm thinking, oh yeah. Yeah. And then, so, so where's the shirt now a year later, he used it to clean the windows. Now it's something that the dogs play with. So it's constantly being reworked. And eventually I know what he's going to do. He's going to rip it up into some smaller piece, which will be used somewhere else. And I just thought, what a great way to think about this. Isn't some alien concept, some, some construct by consultants or construct by the industry to try to get us thinking a different way. It's, it's going back to our roots. How did our parents and our grandparents generations deal with things we reuse them and constantly reuse them uh, and implemented different uses for them across the lifespan of something, right? Exactly. I think it's sometimes really hard because we have this pressure to always move forward and progress. And and sometimes the best way to mature a space is actually to pause and take a step back when we need to. And like you're saying, we know how to do this as a society. Uh, it's just been a bit and it's now, it feels weird to us to go backwards, but with a responsible use of some of the newer technologies we've got, we can imagine how well we could repair something, especially as we think about big assets through our supply chains, we can repair more efficiently if we put a couple sensors in there and then we can know where exactly we need to repair versus needing to take apart the entire thing, you know, every couple of years for complete refurbishment. So I think there's a way that we can um, kind of do a mashup between an older generation's approach that we've done before and applying the newer technology that's coming along with the fourth industrial revolution. And that can help us actually manage our supply chains much better. Actually talk about circularity and supply chains. Let's, let's move on to 
uh, circular supply chains. That's what our audience wants to hear about. Now, Deborah, can you tell us more about how circular supply chain is different from a traditional linear supply chain? Absolutely. And uh, this is one space that I would love to hear uh, Sophia's inputs as well. There's really four areas um, when we sat down and thought, gosh, what are the areas of supply chains that would be different? We picked four. So if you think about a traditional SIPOC diagram, we went with inputs, the process, the outputs, and the system that's surrounding all of that. So if we really break down um, the components in a linear supply chain, what goes into any process is called a primary material or a virgin material, usually straight from the planet, the earth somehow. And that's how we fueled our economy this last 250,000, 1500 years, however long we want to go back, is we take a natural resource and we add value to it and that kind of fuels society. All right, in comparison to linear supply chain inputs, we have circular supply chain inputs. And the difference here is instead of being used for the first time out of the earth, they're called secondary materials, which means it's been used before. This is actually more familiar to you than you realize. If you look at your uh, toilet paper the next time, it probably says 90% or 100% post-consumer use. And that means it's been recycled. Uh, so that it counts as a secondary material, or it could be renewable. And that means it can regrow re relatively quickly. Rapid regeneration counts as 10 years. This could also be solar or wind, uh, something like bamboo. It's debatable. Maybe people will argue with me here, but it grows six inches a day versus old growth forest, which is usually six inches a year. And so we start to understand what can count as a natural resource coming in. Uh, so that's the first big key difference. And so why do you think it's important to consider re redesigning linear supply chains to become more circular? Sophia, do you want to start with this one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so why it's important, it's, I think, Deborah, you already started explaining this side of it, right? And, and Maria, you, you came in with the, the absolute uh, jolly joker here. Basically, our resources are not infinite or infinite, depending on where you come from in the English literature. So in that sense, you know, now we realize that that's pretty much um, coming together right now. So it's not just, you know, the implications of overusing these resources that we can see already in our climate change and, and how the, the climate responds to, to our behavior, but also in terms of uh, not having enough, you know, um, good quality food, for instance, right? So many people don't even realize that what they are eating every day is nothing uh, compared to the quality of food that we had like 40 years ago, right, in, in certain terms. Of course, we can, you know, argue here and we can call in a lot of scientists, but at the end of the day, you know, when we do not replenish the soil, for instance, and we do not regenerate the soil, and just and that's just one single element, right, out of the many that Deborah has already mentioned. Um, this is really powerful because we are sicker as as people right we, we get sick earlier in our lifetime in our life cycle as humanity um, we don't have resilience like we had before because of all of these elements right so um, getting back to you know the principles of keeping uh, the environment uh, the social interactions and, and humanity as a social um, community and and economically sound together you know to find that balance 
the, these imbalances show already, right? So um, it's not just about, you know, who's owning, you know, 1% of, uh, of the, uh, the population uh, owning, you know, uh, 50 or even more percent of the um uh, the wealth of, of, of the people, right? But but in general, right, uh, we see this uh, issue uh, coming up more and more uh, how we live. And it started impacting every part of, of the globe. So it's not just, you know, for those who come from developing countries, it's also for, for all of the developed countries now. So I think we cannot, you know, mistake uh, the spreading wildfire uh, that we haven't had before, the flooding that we have on constant right uh, across Europe right now, or even any of the the constant issues with the withdrawal across uh, the African continent and the Southeast Asian part of the globe, right? So, so these are uh, tangible uh, responses real. from nature. Real. These are real, exactly. So I think we really got to that point when we cannot you know, just put that um, um, little uh, blinders, blinders, head blinders. or blinders, exactly. Thank you. So we, we cannot put, put on the blinders any longer. We really need to just, you know, dig in and smell the humus. This is really not going to happen any longer, right? So that is the wake up call. And, and that's why supply chains need to be redesigned. And why on top of that, as Deborah has put it super clear already, supply chains are everywhere, right? If you realize, every single part of our lives are supply chains in certain shape or form. So actually uh, teaching the kids how to get back to the values that you also described about your grandparents and how they were able to preserve almost everything, um, that starts with the teaching kids that everything is supply chain and everything is you know, a consequential circular um, process itself. So. If I see, you know, uh, any kid right now, I try to teach them just a bit of, you know, what they could pay attention to when they are so happy, you know, every day. So, yeah, that's what we need to do more. And so do, do you know, really to do everything. So that's what we do, you, do you know, I, I want to pick up I want to pick up on that point, because if there's one thing that COVID has demonstrated is the importance of supply chain. Right. The supply chain profession has emerged very much at the front of all conversations around the post-COVID world or the during-COVID world, depending on what you want to call it, right? Um, yeah. And so, it, it I, I want to you know that, take that as a first point. Then, secondly, what we are seeing is very real. So you're right; the world is literally on fire. The world is literally flooding. I mean, literally, this isn't anymore one of these nice to have corporate strategies down the road. The 2020, yeah. the 2030 vision, the 2050 vision, the you know yeah, yeah. the 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 shareholders vision, as it were, right? This isn't anything anymore. This is real. This is happening now. But I'm going to add another factor into this, into the fact that consumers are demanding it. Shareholders are demanding it. Uh, uh, you know, generations of workforce that's, you know, the, the younger generations that are entering the workforce are demanding it uh, as yes. well. So this is this is a necessity. I would probably say that it's not a question of should you have a circular economy? It's you will be judged for not having a circular economy. And supply chain will fail. I mean, yeah, this, isn't, this isn't even a, it's, we may not call it the circular economy, but this will happen, period. There's no other option. I mean, look at material security around the world. Hello, we normally optimize for time, cost, or quality, but I think material security, I think risk managers 
your mm. day is here. Finally, exactly. you know, it used yeah. to be like a fun annual event. No one wanted to do of sitting down and make a risk plan. And like, what happens if the warehouse floods and nobody really exactly. pays attention to it. Now we they are busy. You need these risks. Yes. Risk based decisions, which then ultimately do save you time and cost and will make a difference in your quality. And it starts to become a level two metric that's very quickly coming up to be a level one. And I don't think we're giving that enough space in these discussions, even though we know the world is bullwhipping right now because of material security. And I think in addition to what Sophia has said, we know as human beings, we need to do something different and we probably changes as, as consumers. I think as supply chain professionals, we don't realize the power we have to make a change here. Every decision we make, nothing gets built if we don't build it. Nothing gets moved if we don't move it. Nothing gets bought if we don't bought it in the world. I mean, anywhere, the 100 billion yeah, tons of materials, we put it there. Yeah. And I don't think we talk about that piece enough. And the world is on fire and we aren't being brought in as firefighters, but we know how, you know, this, mm -hmm. these are the types of problems we love to solve and we're very good at. And this is, so this is sort of my rallying cry for the supply chain community of like, come solve this super gnarly problem. And the thing is, we're going to kind of love doing it because it's really hard. We need to go and do like unwind a hundred ish years since yeah. we started designing our supply chains based on planned obsolescence, which basically means we're planning trash through mm. society. And that's a lot to unwind uh, and we need to do it pretty quickly. And can I just so add one more thing? Yeah, Sorry, sure. Maria, before we move on, I think it's really important um, to mention that here, as, as Deborah said, um, along the fact that supply chain professionals will definitely have, you know, an amazing chance to save the planet and we can do it and we will be happy to do it. But I also see, you know, an overwhelming uh, um, crowd uh, to a certain point, at least where they try to apply, you know, the linear methodology to the current problems that we are having. And therefore they basically just make them even bigger. And this we will see in the next couple of years still going on. Then, you know, professionals try to, you know, just solve a problem with it old school, I would say old school uh, uh, solutions or, or linear solutions. And that's where education will be critical. So that's why, you know, what you do, Deborah, and when what uh, others are doing, this will be completely critical because we cannot go fast enough in educating all the supply chain professionals how to move from that linear thinking to the circular thinking. And uh, it's already overdue. So we could not uh, push it even, you know, faster and, and harder because this is really going to uh, be the key to whether we have... Um, issues that uh, we cannot even deal with, or we have issues that we can definitely deal with. Of course we can, but what I see is this, this polarizing, you know, two sides where, where I see, you know, again, you know, just two days before in the news, another, uh, you know, container ship issue. I'm like, yeah, that's because we are trying to solve a problem with- With the same solutions. thinking. With the exactly, same thinking. the same thinking. So mindset change, yeah. Yeah, well, that was, you took the words right out of my mouth, Sophia. That's exactly what, what I was going to say. Is that, no, it means we're connected. You're like already, you and I are like, like this is mindset. This is a mindset issue right now. It's, it's about, I, first of all, it's, I guess, unpacking traditional mo models and methodologies. That's the first one. Secondly, it's unpacking 
uh, our thinking around the influence that we have and the changes that we can make uh, in, in, in the time frame that we've got. I love what you said about how we don't have time. This has got to be done now. We've got to educate from within and work our way from within. So I want to move on. I want to move on to the next bit, which is to talk about the perceptions that people have of the circular economy and uh, circular supply chains, the myths, uh, the, uh, the, the unknowns, the, the hesitation, because, you know, if you talk to anybody and I talk to a lot of people, you know, I talk to a lot of people. (laughs) I, I do. I do. I talk to a lot of people and everybody says, yes, I love it. I love it. Circular supply chains. Yes. Sustainability. Yes. I love it. I'm sign me up. There is no one that says, yeah, it's not for me. Thanks. I'll try again later. Most people are like, yes, I love it. So therefore you would argue that everyone must be doing it, but everyone is not doing it. So let's start with why are people talking about it and not doing it? This is the million dollar question. Why are people talking about it and not doing it? Is it hard? Is it met with resistance? Is it, uh, what is that? And what are the myths around it, around circular supply chain. So I'll start with you, Deborah. Shortest answer, we're fighting market failures. So there's all the perceptions, like you've said, and there are very real market failures. For example, uh, we know we need to work towards shorter supply chains by distance. So the fewer times we cross borders, the less disruptions we'll have. It'll cost us less money, et cetera, except when it doesn't. Sometimes it costs less to put something on a vessel, on a boat, Mm -hmm. and have it ship four or 5,000 miles than it is to put it on a truck and ship it 500 miles. This is a market failure. We've got supply chains going out looking to get secondary materials to put into their supply chains. They can't find it. It's not the right quality. It's not in the right location. It's too expensive. This is a market failure. We shouldn't have these because 100 billion tons of material enter the global economy every year, and we don't use it all over and over and over. A lot of it is not used after it's used once. And so what that then points to is the infrastructure misses in order to prepare that material to be used. Again, this might look like global repair facilities. Then I don't mean where we ship it all to one place to get repaired. I mean, regional skilled Mm -hmm. labor repair for everything um, in our supply chains and in our consumer lives. Uh, which I guess will start to become users instead of consumers, but either way, uh, it could look like the inability to um, recycle. You know, in the United States, we have a lot of challenges because it's up to the county level. So we go federal, state, county, and that's who decides if a a recycling facility even functions. So where I grew up, very rural, uh, we don't really recycle anymore. We can't recycle Mm -hmm. glass. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. They just throw it away. Uh, into landfill. And so we've got a lot of these constraints that we need to fight against as supply chain professionals. The good news is uh, this is one space that government is actually out ahead of private businesses, of of corporations. There's insane amounts of grant money. Government is incredibly willing to partner, to co-invest, to invest. uh, And we're seeing examples of this truly all over the world. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good news. That is the good news. It's a positive. And then Sophia has uh, awesome myths because she hears this constantly from companies. Oh, tell me. I'm excited. Yeah, but. (laughs) Okay. What is it? Myths. Your turn. Yeah. Yeah. The myths. Uh, Yeah. So, so, you know, when I talk to companies, the first thing is really, you know, these, uh, 
these perceptions partially uh, fueled by the dark side that we, we mentioned already, you know, some, some of these reports that have uh, come to light that people will be willing to pay for, uh, you know, and increase money for, for sustainable products because they inherently will be more expensive. And, and that's, that's how, you know, uh, when we come to, to exactly what Deborah uh, started saying uh, absolutely well, is that structural change that needs to happen before we really start seeing the benefits of circular supply chain, right? Because quite frankly, you know, a local infrastructure is more expensive at the moment versus shipping something from Asia only because we didn't invest in that infrastructure and we didn't build it up already, right? So it's the same as people are asking, how come I can fly from, uh, you know, to, from London to, to New York for a mere 200 pounds Granted, not all the time, but mm-hmm. let's take one of but the it can outrageously. Happen. Exactly. We, we have those outrageously low prices. And then at the same time, if you wanted to board, you know, a ship to New York, then you would pay a couple of thousand pounds right up front. So these are the things where people really just don't see the fact that uh, the amount of investment that went into one side of the equation or one, t- one part of the infrastructure, as well as the supply chains paid off. So now we need to redirect uh, that investment money and those uh, funds that were fueling these parts of the solution, the linear solutions, and start building the circular solutions, right? And that's where, as Deborah said, governments are really happy to work with us. I love to see that. But at the same time, we, we need to make sure that those private companies who have the funds will also uh, have the willingness to redirect those funds because it's so easy to fall back on, you know, that option. Oh, what I had so far was absolutely cost efficient. Yay, because my supply chain counterpart has made it super cost efficient, right? But at the same time, when they look at, you know, the time series of where they came from and how that cost efficiency was made reality, they just don't see that, you know, um, Kind of, I, I need to go back to more financial parts here, but you know, net present value and etc. When you start pitching a, a new project and business case, you, we just need to put it into this context for private uh, investors and private companies to to make them see um, the parallel of what we what they need to go through, right? So when I hear you know things like yeah, it will be really uh, much more expensive, and then I will need to find customers who are willing to pay for it. It's just not true. Um, we need to find, you know, uh, ways of uh, um, making that money work, right? Every single element that we consider waste now in the process can be utilized by either by someone else. Yeah, but company. I was just going to say, but it does, exactly. doesn't that, isn't that good business? I mean, if you've got parts Absolutely. that you're normally throwing out, if you can resell them or reuse yeah. them, then surely that is better I, business, right? You're going to make money. It doesn't have to cost more, right? It doesn't have to. It can, but also (laughs) in supply chain, we have a chance of becoming a revenue stream. Yes, exactly. Like not just a cost center, which is awesome. And I don't know about all of you, but I'm kind of running out of options of how to make the supply chain cheaper. I mean, we can't, the race to zero is just about over. So we're going to have to make some pretty massive infrastructure changes to our own supply chains that they're not as long, for example. And then what if we just didn't pay for that whole part? Uh, Mm -hmm. Then we could start to actually um, go quicker, be more agile. If we didn't start from the planet every single time, 
we will be cheaper and go faster. It seems scary. And I think, you know, this theme that Sophia keeps talking about around the tools that are familiar to us and they're comfortable. So when we panic, we go back to those. Uh, and we need to kind of rewire our brains, Maria, to your earlier point around how do we change the tool set and our own expectations and our comfort level in trying something that's different uh, in, in an attempt to actually get a different result. It seems pretty logical that if you've got products that are, you know, wasted, and then you can reuse them, resell them, repurpose them, et cetera. It's revenue generating. I mean, imagine supply chain actually being revenue generating. Um, but you also mentioned, Sophia, about cost savings, frugality. You know, you mentioned, sorry, that's my alarm to feed the dogs, which I will silence for a second. They they should be fine. I don't see them anywhere. So unless they've eaten something outside. I don't know. Anyway, so um, the- They are um, frugal. They are frugal. Yes, they are. They will eat a lot of things. They eat everything. They just, you know. Um, But anyway, but this this whole notion of frugality, right? This whole notion of cost saving. You mentioned that previously about how everybody's cost conscious. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be because you have to be. And, um, but- is that just the sole driver? Is that the limitation to supply chain circularity and supply chain, this cost-saving mentality? And are there companies, are there examples of companies that have bucked that trend that have sort of thought, you know what, this is, there's a better way of doing things. Can you name a few companies? Of course, of course we can. I think uh, one of our favorites, uh, I'm, I'm sure we discussed it a lot with Deborah already, Fairphone. Not many people know Fairphone as a company. The reason why I always put them in the front line is because they are easily comparable with Apple or Samsung or the others, right? So take a look at, uh, if anyone goes on their website, right, it's 100% visible that what they did is change the mentality, change just thinking, really rigorously apply all of the principles that uh, we both mentioned to you uh, earlier. And therefore, what they did is uh, a modular uh, phone that you can easily take apart, easily repair those parts, and you can easily find you know, solutions uh, for the materials that, uh, that cannot be used anymore in the phone, right? And in the background, how they built up, you know, the precious metal and uh, and those uh, areas of the supply chain, which uh, are usually dirty, by the way, for many of these companies. Yeah, mm. not, not even just not sustainable or not uh, circular, but even dirty because mm. they touch, you know, child labor or um, any other hazards. Uh, so they mm. are not exactly, uh, you know, clean. ISO compliant. Yeah, or clean. Let's put it this way. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, and therefore, what they did is really just select a few of those companies that were willing to follow um, the requirements of a circular uh, economy setup with the health and safety requirements, not uh, using child labor and et cetera. And of course it's more expensive, Uh, but in the end, believe it or not, what they did is they basically said, we are willing to take much less of the profit. You can go on their own website and see the profit versus their cost structure. And for every cost element that they incur, they basically have almost zero profit, right? So they have kind of a few percent of profit all over. So they fulfill, you know, for me, uh, the element of taking some profit for the work we are doing because they need to live, right? They need to make the company work. There needs to be profitability. But the level of profitability is not going on the expense of the setup, right? 
So the element of humanity, the element of the social uh, part, the ecological balance. That's factored in. Economic, That's exactly. All of these are factored in. And of course, they are just about, uh, you know, after many years, as they are also a smaller uh, company, not that small any longer, actually. Um, but they, they are just about to really break even from a, uh, an economical perspective. But if I really take a look at other startups who, who start in a non-circular way, it's exactly the same. They also break mm. even around five years or so, right? So mm. I think this is a good example. If anyone has doubt as a private individual or even a supply chain professional, you can go on and check their website, 100% transparent. You can really check, you know, even you can I'm send look them up, messages. Yeah. yeah, but this is just one, you know, of the many. But um, getting back to, you know, more of the frugal thinking and, and it's, Frugal thinking, I need to also go a little bit uh, on a myth-busting uh, mode uh, here. It's not about this just cost, you know, but to find resources where others don't see resources, right? So for I me, like that definition. Critical. I like that definition. <laughs> I love it too, because, uh, you know, I, I need to go back to your grand, grandpa example. They, they were also, you know, frugal because they didn't have much during uh, the times of war. And I get back to also where Deborah comes from, where I come from, we didn't have much. So, so we inherently got that kind of um, fabric in our skin, you know, where, where we really go beyond uh, the thinking. And I can go back and say, okay, so is there any other company who started thinking along, you know, how we could use resources more frugally and back to international shipping? Who would have thought that 40 to 50% sometimes, but on average 30% of international containers are going unused, right? So uh, would you really think, and yes, they do. And wow. uh, exactly, exact, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the same for years. And there, you know, there is the small company. Again, they are small, but that's where you start. Everybody starts small. Uh, they called Cubex. And they are selling remaining um, space in their space. Exactly. So there you go. So, you know, there, there's always a solution. If we want to find a solution, there is a solution. Or there's Inrego, uh, one of those companies, they are buying up, you know, uh, used electronic uh, devices and they just you know, take them apart and reutilize those that they can reutilize. So they, they try to keep them, you know, uh, in circulation. As Deborah said, it's a really good example of those who started building up that skill and competency set that we should have in the economy once again. So, but you, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I want to say this before I forget, which is, do you remember back in the day, you used to, yeah. used to see repair people all the time? You yeah, know, there were shops yeah. of repair people all the time. Yeah. It was now mm -hmm. try to find a repair person. You know, it's it's very hard. Now, what I want to say is that we are, governments are worried about uh, automation and robotics taking jobs of people and having to reskill them. Well, if we adopted a circular economy methodology, then, hey, here's a potential new training ground for people. Mm -hmm. Let's train them into repair, repair things or reuse or repurpose. So, you know what? Everything has a solution if you want to find it. Like, that's why I love what you said there. Now. I want to move on because we could talk for hours, but I want to move on to the next to the next phase of this interview, which is to talk about practical stuff. Now, it's all well and good that we talk about all of these things that we should be doing, how we should be doing it, the mindset change. But Mr. or Mrs. Supply Chain Exec is sitting there worried at the moment, trying to deal with crisis, COVID, 
containers, uh, Suez Canal issues, uh, flooding, fires. So, you know, there's a lot going on, right? So how do we, how can we, or how can the supply chain exec today um, move to a more circular economy, more move towards a more circular supply chain? What practical advice do you have for these people? You know, it's interesting that this isn't as foreign as it might seem. So we've had some consumer examples and I think it's good for us to connect to as consumers, but let's consider how we're already using principles in our supply chains. Lean thinking, this is the basis. Using less is the first principle. We've all done this for years. Uh, MRO, any, mm -hmm. any of your asset management, you already know how to do this. If you are an outsourced service provider, you are helping to move us towards circular supply chains because we used to all own our own fleets. Now we don't need to anymore. And a sharing economy is very much included inside a circular economy, using up excess uh, available space, um, sharing pallet positions. All of these start to showcase what would it be like if something was used all the time. And this high utilization rate is something that's really important for circularity to work. So if we take that and start to expand it, and start to apply the same care we apply to our capital equipment or assets to the materials that we're throwing away, now we can start to actually get some kind of two-for-one benefits. So we don't have to pay disposal fees anymore if we can get rid of these um, scrap or excess in another way. Uh, speaking with some uh, supply chain folks who are doing this today, we're seeing really clever ways to reuse water in operations, which is becoming more of a challenge. We're seeing massive cost savings actually by switching uh, to renewable energy sources, which for the first time ever is cheaper than traditional energy sources in many parts of the mm -hmm. world. Uh, and so there's some actually not scary shifts that can be made in the name of cost savings, revenue generation, um, risk mitigation uh, that we could start with. And we could start, we could grab one of our analysts, who I'm sure is very busy, aren't we all, and have them start running some numbers on what, what would be needed to shorten our supply chain by half. What if yeah. we took out half the border crossings we have today and just eliminated half the freight, half the storage? What would happen? And I'm not asking for a show me all the reasons this won't work analysis. I'm asking for a under which circumstances could this work? And what would that look like? Then go find out from your government if they've already got some uh, investment opportunities with that. And you'll probably be surprised that there are, but we don't normally in supply chain, we don't normally go seek these types of uh, co-investments from government, but they're there uh, because they're recognizing everything that you're both saying around uh, risk. Our economies aren't going to recover as quickly if we continue to bullwhip. You know, we can't have consumer spending come back if the shelves continue to be empty. But Deborah, do you think that, that companies have, I mean, we're already seeing the uh, chief sustainability officer brought into the businesses, which is great. It's great to see. But do you think there needs to be someone driving circular economy in each business having, I mean, the questions you ask are brilliant, but it needs someone internal in the business who has a vested interest in making this happen. And, you know, do you, is there, uh, does this fall under sustainability? Does fun fall under the supply chain? Should there be a chief circular economy officer? You know, in a lot of companies, how a circular economy is coming. It's already here. Uh, Volvo just hired one. Uh, automotive is further ahead than many industries. But we are seeing that title, head of, maybe not a chief officer, 
Um, sometimes they report through supply chain, sometimes through uh, sustainability. I actually think a great candidate for this would be whoever owns the supply chain strategy. Um, that mm -hmm. strategy officer or a vice president of needs to understand this because to me, circularity is not a goal. That's not our value add as a supply chain. We do cost quality, make sure we have materials, mm -hmm. uh, time. But what this does offer us is new tools in our toolbox that we haven't tried before. And I think that sits with a strategy officer. Uh, this is going to be happening in the next three to five years. We need to start now. Uh, or you'll be left behind. You're going to be well, left behind. Have you ever done an ERP upgrade that took less than three years? I mean, we're no. talking about new measurements, new processes, new systems, none of which exist training, yet. This isn't training the score model. And no. we're going to try to pull this off in like five years. I mean, this is a, we've got some work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, that's why some people like Sophia exist. And that's why you exist as well, because people need help. We need help mm -hmm. to make this happen. But I think you're right in saying this. We need to first acknowledge that there's a problem, acknowledge that it needs to be dealt with today, not in by us. Exactly. We so need to start it. participating in this. This is not a sustainability CSR corporate report type of a thing. We exactly. need to involve ourselves because we know our operation and we know it the better than better than anyone else does. And so we, I don't think have been presented the chance to solve this problem yet. And uh, by the time people realize, oh my gosh, those supply chain people are my supply chain people. By the time that happens, it's going to be too late. So we need to go and start knocking on some doors and invite ourselves to some parties. Well, I would say start knocking down some doors. I think you need to go there with a, with a hammer and sort of start knocking down doors and, and, and some heads. All right. Last bit of advice or what do you want to say to the supply chain leaders that are listening, watching uh, today? What, 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 this is it. Microphones over to you. Hit them with it. Sophia, why don't we start with you? All right. So I get back to my uh, usual mantra, which is, you know, be the change that you want to see. And, and that means that really everyone who works in supply chain now, they really need to have all hands on deck, as Deborah said. And this is not a joke. This is something that we need to make happen. And uh, it's just, you know, if you don't get education from your company, go educate yourself. I'm sorry. Materials are available. People are like Deborah. She offered, you know, two years for now already free material for people who are there, right? You're talking about uh, in Future Insights Network, everybody's talking about go get educated. I have people now, and I'm really happy to see that, who are calling me just, you know, for half an hour, Sophia, where do I start? Where do I go? And then I say, go to Deborah, go to here, go to there. There are resources available, right? Go get your education. Go uh, talk to your line manager. Everything is possible. Even if you don't sit at the top of the strategic office, where the mindset shift will also need to start, um, you know, from a leadership perspective, you can still do a lot in your own territory. And they will start to catch on. Because they will see, you know, that this is not... You That's know, being bogus. driven. This is, yeah, it's being exactly. driven from someone. And as we both have said, it's not bogus. It's not a miracle. It's not, you know, child's game or something. This is something with a different uh, set of, uh, you know, uh, thinking and, and a different set of tools you can make happen. And, um, and you know what? I would also go back to this frugal thinking and, and how we need to change the mindset. Just 
you know, every day try to remember that what if I didn't have that set of materials available off the shelf, off the back of the, the warehouse? What if there was nothing? What, what would I do? What would that do? Supply chain professor. Exactly. What, what would I do? Where, where would I find it? Where would I go? And there you go. You will be able to list at least six or seven things, what you can still do to find something that is either replacing that material or find the second hand or third hand or fourth hand material that is still good. So these are the exercises. Go get your hands dirty. Deborah, what do you think? Oh, gosh. I think... I had a really good one in mind and then I got so enamored by Sophia and then it has fleeted out of my mind. Okay, here it is. Uh, think back to making a value stream map. Uh, it may have been a while if you're an executive, but you've made several in your life and we know there's value streams and there are waste streams. The one thought I want to leave you with is those are only considered waste streams because you haven't found a customer for them yet. Imagine the full cost of your disposal costs of what you're paying to throw items which may or may not ever make it to landfill. You're paying to dispose of those. Imagine just eliminating that cost of your PL. Let's say you couldn't even sell it. You just find someone to take it for free. What, what impact would that have on your PL? And it is not so crazy. There's marketplaces, there's brokers to start to bring these um, new types of buyers and sellers together. And so you can start to become a supplier for another supply chain uh, just by your byproduct. So just do that one piece. Again, grab an analyst and say, congratulations, you now get to go figure out how much we spend on disposal around the world. It's going to be a tougher number to come up with because we don't like talking about our garbage. Um, mm -hmm. But it turns out that is the future. And we've got to keep a, keep tabs on all the different materials running around the world. So go check it out. And I think you'll end up being uh, pretty delighted. My advice to everybody is, uh, this is not a drill. That's what I would say. This is not a drill. We are, this is, this is real. This is happening. You're going to get left behind. Educate yourself to say what, to, to, to re reiterate what Sophia said. There's free materials. There's material. There's people that are experts like these two lovely ladies that are here. Uh, we can connect you with people as well. Um, we're all talking about it. Now let's start taking action. Uh, I would love us to be here together talking about this and giving even more examples of companies that have really embraced the circular supply chain. So I'm looking out for my next guest on this podcast. Who is out there doing a great job? Come join us. Why don't you be the success story we want to hear? Hmm. Absolutely. Challenge. Challenge yeah. accepted. We need to find but, people who are willing there to you showcase go. There I we love go. It. All right. They well, exist. Ladies, They're doing they it. They do exist. Of course. We'll, we want to hear send it. nominations over. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I think I, I want to hear a huge it. list. Exactly. Sophia, Deborah, I want to thank you for being on this podcast, for being part of the conversation. This is not over. As I said, this is not a drill. It's not over. We're going to be having conversations about this regularly. So we will keep everyone updated. We'll see you at the next one. Deborah and Sophia, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.